All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And joining me today is an individual who I recently, well, I guess, geez, back in October, however many months ago, (laughs) uh, I finally was able to meet um, in person. Um, I'd been following their work for some time and uh, finally had the opportunity of meeting them in person. And so I'm excited to introduce with us today, Dr. Roberto Che Espinosa. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I know that we've been trying to work this out so that I could come on. Um, and, and I feel like a good six months after meeting in person is uh is a good time i've already had my japanese whiskey on the porch so my brain is lubed and um i'm ready to talk all things body becoming and all things becoming awesome yeah i uh (laughs) i too am am trying to um participate within the uh the lubing of the brain (laughs) to use your language i have a a nice session hazy ipa here with me Uh, nice nice yeah yeah, so I guess for like first things first, just um kind of a housekeeping question. Uh for people who maybe aren't familiar with yourself or your work, uh, can you just kind of introduce yourself um and, and share with us the kind of things that you find yourself doing? Yeah, so I like to tell folks I'm a one-trick pony. I'm trained as a theologian and ethicist, and that's what I do in the world. I'm on faculty at Duke Divinity School, teaching in the area of queer theory and theology ethics. And I spend probably about a third of my time in churches, working with church folk, about a third of my time in the public square, maybe half my time in the public square, um, commenting on social issues and pressing social concerns, and then about a third of my time teaching um, in the academy. And 
I still very much uh, identify as an academic, uh, a public scholar, if you will, and still very much believe that um, philosophy, theology, and ethics does have a place in American life in the public square. And I try to help folks connect the dots between thinking and acting and belief and practice. So helping folks reimagine um, life at the end of empire and helping folks reimagine another possible world. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I, uh, when I first encountered your work, um, I don't actually know how, how I came upon it, but I, I had read your, your book, Activist Theology. Yeah. Um, and then kind of, uh, got to know you a little bit better just through mutual connections. Uh, Trip Fuller, for example, specifically, you know, when we met at, at Theology Beer Camp in person, yep. uh, yep. was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And then I had read, uh, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. Uh, like I was telling you before we started, and then recently these past three days, I've been uh, listening to it on Audible um, on my way to yeah. and from work. And it's been a, yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed getting to hear you read it. <laughs> it was, yeah. uh, you know, I hear that from a lot of people that they appreciate that I've read it. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to read their own stuff, but I wrote it in a particular way that I wanted to share the inflection of certain points and emphasize certain points you know yeah i i like that that aspect i feel like um your personality uh came out through through the reading and um i just yeah. i don't know i enjoy, <laughs> i enjoyed that uh it felt like thank a more you. relational experience um yeah thank you yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, too, um, if I can say, I want to share one thing that I really um, love about my particular copy of Body Becoming. Uh, I yeah. think a little a little special thing about it. So um, my copy on the front um, is uh, has uh, your former, former name, rather, uh, on the cover, yeah. Robin Henderson Espinosa. But uh, on my title page, you had signed it for me. Um, on October 15th, uh, Dr. Roberto. And so yeah. as we talk about bodies and bodies becoming, um, yeah. it's just like, well, holy shit, there it is. <laughs> so yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's special. a real it's life just... example. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, so yeah. we talk... so, okay. so So both of those books were published under my former name. And when we met in October, that was my first event as Dr. Roberto Che Espinosa. And you were actually one of the first people to know that I was coming because it was kind of a surprise that I was coming to beer camp. Um, but yeah, I think um I, you know, people have asked me, what are, what are you gonna do about your book published in your former name? Well, that that name has a history too. And this is the evolution of my being in the world. Robin to Roberto. So yeah, I um I love that it kind of I mean in a in a different way reminds me of some advice like a, a friend had given me about um just recognizing that the like current version of Josh today uh wouldn't be the version of Josh uh without my past uh versions. 
And so like finding right. uh finding grace and like making peace with some past versions of Josh who um make me cringe today <laughs> because of maybe mm-hmm. some kind of theologies uh that I held to or ways that I thought about things or treated people. Um yeah. So that that's been kind of a cool uh you know talk about journey of becoming um yeah yeah for my for myself um but i guess a good and maybe helpful place to kind of kick off our conversation in regards to your book body becoming um would be by starting it the same way that uh you do in the book which is by asking i think a seemingly simple question that actually as soon as you start to try to break it down and think about it it gets very complex very fast and that is yeah. the question of what is a body? How how would you define a body? Yeah. Um, well, I think that we have been taught to think that we are separate from ourselves and one another. And I would say that a body is inherently connected. Even when we look at ourselves we are comprised or composed of cells. So down to the cellular level, the cell is a body. And that cellular level as a body on a macro scale is makes up an individual body. But even individual bodies are connected to other bodies And so we really exist within an ecosystem of bodies. Um, But we often deny that because of how fractured we are politically, religiously, and so forth. Yeah, that that kind of fracturing um, has been something that I personally have have been trying to come to grips with and um i more recently like recognizing the way that we have been um basically programmed to think that we are are simply like these these individuals this like hyper individuality um right within our culture rather than what i think is more true as you're saying that everything really is this this deep um interconnection uh, of relationships and 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 networks um yeah and so i love the i love the cell analogy um because yeah because you get down like even recognizing that our own physical body is made up of you know more like josh's body is made up of like non-josh parts <laughs> like yeah. all, all the way down yeah. so then we have our like individual body and then that kind of um goes out to like the larger collective yeah uh, yeah body so yeah that um and that's why i like process thought so <laughs> because this these kind of things are, are taken more seriously um but so I, I guess in regard to that though most people don't uh at least how i grew up being taught in like church or even with talking to friends today a lot of people don't think um in this way of um embodiment or relationship but rather mm-hmm think uh in ways that are are disembodied and so i'm kind mm-hmm. of interested in like do you have any thoughts on perhaps what leads to the idea that we are these disembodied beings 
Um, and also like what kind of ramifications uh, do you see when we live in such a way um, when we accept that we are disembodied? Well, I mean, I think you can look at the political situation right now and and see how disconnected we are. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this goes back to the Cartesian split and Rene Descartes, who, you know, infamously or famously said, I think, therefore I am. And that became the reigning epistemological framework which is living living life from the shoulders up. And so the body was disregarded. And we know that in Greek thought that the body was denigrated. And so I think that gets picked up in various forms of Christian thought that then um, gets socialized into our communities, into our churches. And so we've We've really disregarded the body, but, you know, what's so interesting to me is, you know, there are some traditions who celebrate communion or the Eucharist every Sunday, which is all about the body of Christ. And so it's always been interesting to me to be a part of a tradition that, um, feasts on the body but yet preaches against the body and 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 you know i just i just find that curious you know um and and i you know i you know we're i just i just talked with a colleague an episcopal priest uh, earlier today the reverend liz edmund and and we were talking about how there seems to be a revolution happening in in our belief uh, structures and in our practice. And I think, you know, this podcast is a great example around an invitation to rethink faith. I would say faith and practice because I come from a tradition that says faith without works is dead. So I'm always about getting your hands dirty, you know. But, um, you know, this invitation to rethink faith or rethink dogma or theology uh is a really necessary practice and and i would say you know we're all theologians and we all should be asking these questions and when we ask these questions about the body or about the evolution of the body or what do we mean by a body where does it help us connect with ancient thought and where does it help us forecast to the future that is ever becoming? Um, and so I I really sit with the questions and try to imagine a way forward with the questions and not I try not to arrive at a singular answer because there's probably a multiplicity of answers that are available to us, but we can only see uh, a few. Yeah, the getting comfortable with multiplicity um, is another thing <laughs> that I've been kind of uh, in my own personal journey just seems to be something that that keeps coming up. Um, yeah. and, and even just this refrain, 
that I, I stole from Whitehead, um, where essentially he says like, uh, truth, like truth is not, um, like, it's not like an easy process to come by truth or, and, and I'm totally butchering it. So I'm going to clarify <laughs> my statement here. Uh, he said, there's no shortcut to truth. It's even simpler than I was trying to say. Um, and so really sitting with that, uh, has been helpful. And then also to trying to talk to and come into relationship with people who look, think, believe differently than me. Um, so that not only, um, can I hear their ideas, but I also think something happens when we enter into relationship, uh, with somebody mm -hmm. Where I was, I was talking mm -hmm. with um, Terrence Lester uh, last night. Um, he has a new book out called All God's Children. It's wonderful. And one of the things that he he references in that book a lot is this idea of proximity um, and how we're called uh, to be within proximity uh, to one another. And then he especially challenges yeah. us to step into proximity with people who are different um, or people who yeah. we would consider to be the other Um and then really, like you said, that those multiplicities of, of answers start to kind of bubble up. Um, but I've noticed that when you're in a relationship with people, then that multiplicity is less scary because you have this inherent kind of relationship together. And I can be like, oh, well, um, I don't know. I pick on Terrence like, well, Terrence thinks this. Um and maybe that was scary before, but now, oh no, actually, I know Terrence. Um, I know Terrence. Yeah. I know his heart. I know his family, and so I know like this. I know his story, <laughs> and so I, I can see right. where it's coming from. So that I don't know. As you as you were speaking, like proximity uh, just kind of kept coming to to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's that that's useful, and also you know I'm just remembering Alistair McIntyre um, saying you have to know your story before you can act and it it takes time to know our story and we need proximity to people to understand ourselves and to understand our story so that our story can unfold so that we can act and i would agree with terrence that we need proximity to people um we also need time with people because without proximity and time, we can't get to know our story. And if we can't get to know our story, then we're stuck in kind of this loop of sameness that we never then explore difference or multiplicity or get to participate in becoming. Yeah, and I like um, uh, a word that you just used there uh, was difference. And you talk about uh, difference in the book in a way um, – that was I, I had not heard before. Often when I had heard the phrase difference, it was always negative um, yeah. used in like a negative sense. But you kind of frame difference as as positive and actually something that we should be striving for. So when you when you think about yeah. difference in a positive sense, what, what are you kind of uh, getting at there? Well, I mean, I think that, again, taking our political landscape, we have we meaning the democratic body um we have doubled down on homogeneity and on sameness and i think that has made us sick as a body 
instead of embracing heterogeneity or radical difference where multiplicity can dance and have space to breathe, we have demonized difference. And I think when you look at other countries where they allow difference to proliferate, you have a healthier society. When you when you double down on sameness or homogeneity or force a society to flatten itself, I think that's when you begin to see the dis-ease of society. And for us, that's become a pathology. We 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 are a sick democratic body. Yeah, I think that's well said. And it just, you know, even just to to turn on the news today or talk to uh, coworkers or um, whatever, the the kind of a sickness or is such is to the extent where like everything just seems so polarized. Right. Um, and I right. think that's kind of the demonization of difference that you're talking about. Um, yeah, because it's like, oh, well, if you're not a Republican, then you're obviously a Democrat and that's evil or vice right. versa. If you're not a Democrat, mm-hmm. then obviously you're one of those stupid Republicans. <laughs> and so then right. the yeah, that's that's interesting. So the the differences become uh, demonized rather than something to be cele- celebrated. Um, and then, yeah, like like you said, that kind of gives rise to the um, uh, not being willing to to give in to the 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 multiplicity um hmm. hmm yeah um i have a million thoughts going through my head <laughs> my problem with adhd is uh deciding yeah. which one to listen to it to follow um hmm. well, i guess for me i'll so i'll i'll share, share just kind of um a little bit personally, my own experience with this kind of um, disembodiment and separation. Um, so I am somebody who is very prone to going to my head um, and intellectualizing mm-hmm. things. And, you know, I read a lot, um, these kind of things. And I'm somebody who then uh, also whenever there's negative emotion or emotion that makes me uncomfortable, I try to shove it down, <laughs> but I will chase uh positive, yeah. uh, chase positive emotion. And I think part of this came from uh, not only some of the kind of like um, implicit and explicit things that uh, society and culture has taught me, but also through, excuse me, my upbringing in some like more evangelical spaces where the body has been taught as something that is uh, evil and deceitful and yeah. we can't trust it. And the good news is, is we have this thing called a soul that's going to fly up in the sky someday when we die. And so uh, that kind of, yeah, really led to the the separation for me and then also led me to fully identify with uh, my thoughts and my ideas and um, by implication, uh, the things that I say and the things that I produce. Um, and then that just radically became this, um, I don't know. I, I began to, to conflate, uh, who I was with my vocation as a pastor. Um, 
And so then that was something that like with the work of a spiritual director, I had to kind of work through to to separate those as I was trying to leave vocational ministry um, because vocational ministry had become something for me that was unhealthy um, mm-hmm. and, and really damaging to my mental health. But because of the way um, I was uh, disembodied, I was not listening right to the messages my body was trying to tell me (laughs) right and instead living in my head um and so for me just kind of this this journey of uh and i of becoming embodied um and i love that you use that that language in the book even um that it's this becoming is like this inherently ongoing this ongoing process Mm -hmm. it's not like oh josh has become embodied now he's right (laughs) right right yeah just um so that's like I guess a bit of, of my story, I'm interested, uh, for yourself, what, how, like, what has your journey of becoming embodied, um, looked like and, and, and how have you experienced that? Well, I would say that we we probably share a lot of similarities. Um, it's very easy for me to think and connect with my thinking. Um, I've been socialized, in higher education since I was 18. Um, And it became second nature for me to think. And I basically forgot that I had a body. I just, it just wasn't part of my thinking. And, and, and then when I was launching the activist theology project, I knew that it was more than a thinking project and I wanted to incorporate somatics into the work. Um, because there was something there that was pulling me and it wasn't until I met my current partner who is a dancer, a dance academic and a somatics expert that I began to really suture the wounds of my own body. And so so this book, Body Becoming, is really um, my response to this relationship that I have uh, with my partner. Um, and, you know, I, I just was teaching. I'm on faculty at Duke, and I just was teaching <clears throat> last week. And... I woke up in the middle of the night and my ankle was hurting and I thought, gosh, what did I do to my ankle? And I I began to talk with my ankle and develop a relationship with my ankle and try. And and it sounds trite and funny, but I was really trying to figure out, I mean, I couldn't walk, you know, I was trying to figure out what the fuck did I do, you know? And I started to have compassion for my ankle and it made me more aware of my body. And now it turned out that, that, um, so I'm, I'm on testosterone as a trans person and, um, that medicine increases my uric acid, which causes gout flare ups. And so I was having a gout flare up in my ankle. And so I could not walk. Uh, it's the worst pain I've ever experienced. Um, we've not quite figured it out yet because my uric acid was normal. So maybe the shot provoked a gout flare up. We don't know. My point in saying this and talking so candidly about gout and my ankle is that 
I've had to figure out how to have a relationship with my body and not just with my brain or not just with my thinking. And that is still an ongoing struggle. Um, I am still on the way. Tried to figure out how do I live this embodied life when what turns me on is theory and, you know, politics and stuff that, it, you know, discourse. Um, and, and yet I'm aware that when we can ground the theory in our body and our lived experience, the theory becomes richer, which is what I try to do in the book. And it's what I try to do in the classroom and with my platform. Yeah, I think the the groundedness is is so helpful um, because oftentimes I feel like even if someone isn't necessarily as prone to just like, you know, escaping into their head or something like that, uh, as um, you and I are, I feel like people still, when there is a difficult situation, um, re still result to knowledge and then just try to learn about something and then say, okay, cool. And now like the problem is going to go away because at least I have the knowledge and information about it. <laughs> and I think you kind of, you get right. at some of this um, in your book uh, with, you know, think about something like racism um, right. where white folks uh, will like, oh, cool. Like, well, we read all the books and now we're good to go. But like, it kind of stops there. And so it's like what this right. this increase of knowledge still is is privileging the head. It's still it's still right. stuck there, and it it doesn't become embodied. Um, and that's yeah, that's always like the question is like how do I now like go and 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 live this out? Um, and I think that's I think it's really interesting because you you talk about embodiment, um, or yeah, you you kind of talk about embodiment is almost like um as resistance. Like becoming yeah. um, embodied and uh, getting in touch with our body um, almost becomes like kind of this act of resistance. Um, so in, in that regard, um, how, like how how would you see embodiment as an act of resistance, as a way to kind of get our hands? Yeah. Through? Yeah. I mean, let me just give you a real live example, which happened today. Um I had an eye appointment to get my eyes checked, which we should all do every year. And I had to be really social at the eye doctor. And also I had to spend a lot of money because my prescription is expensive. Um, and when I got home, I didn't want lunch. I just needed some introvert time and I needed a siesta. And I was listening to my body. Now, I talk a lot about the, the siesta as being an act of resistance, which it is uh, in this culture of production and hyperproduction and capitalism and whatnot. But I laid down. I let my body relax and recover from having to extrovert at the eye doctor and dealing with the Nashville traffic. And... um. And I was, I probably took a two hour siesta. And, you know, allowing my body to rest. I mean, I, I heard somewhere, I think I was listening to NPR, 
20 years ago, people were getting eight hours of rest. And nowadays people are getting five to six hours of rest. So, so we're shortening the, the time that we're sleeping in favor of being more productive. And I am more productive when I take a siesta every day and letting my body relax and letting my my when we sleep, our brains myelinate, it categorizes all the information and like metabolizes the information. So pull, pulling all nighters is actually not good for our bodies because it doesn't allow our brains to have the necessary response of myelinating and categorizing all the information that it's processed. Um and so today I just rested after the after the eye doctor, knowing that I had to like have something to say to you tonight, I knew that I needed to budget my time and budget my energy. And as an intense introvert, um, I needed to figure out how do I buoy myself so that I can socialize again for the podcast, right? And I think that that requires some kind of intuition and some kind of relationship with the body. It it just does. And I don't know how to tell people how to do that other than put a bookmark in it. Allow yourself to put bookmarks in things. Um, the book will be there tomorrow. The activity will be there tomorrow or later in the day. And it's okay when we put things down and give our minds and our bodies a rest. And when we begin to see our brain body or our body brain as one holistic being, we can then begin to nurture a relationship that pulls us together and pulls all the disparate pieces together. It may even help us become a better body in the world or a better body in our neighborhood, which then impacts our neighborhood that, you know, you can see where I'm going, you know, it's kind of like, a Russian nested egg. Um, but basically, you know, rest is resistance. Um, slow cooking. I love slow cooking. I think slow cooking is resistance. And that and that forces us to be present. We we don't know how to be present anymore. And so one of the one of the things that I'm doing is trying to practice presence. And it's something that I do every Monday on my Substack for the subscribers. I help them practice presence and I send out a contemplative threads post to everyone and invite people into the practice of presence. And so I would say both of those rest and presence are acts of resistance to the neoliberal bullshit that we're all, you know, struggling to survive at the end of empire. Yeah, and that's that is still something that I um get hung up on or catch myself doing is um not listening to my body when like I've gotten to the point where I, you know, I've I've um done embodiment work, um, you know, I've read about it, I've practiced it, etc. Um, to the point now where like I can choose to ignore what my body is telling me and it's not cool. <laughs> and so right. um, an example of this would be uh, this morning, for example, this, and this happens to me a lot. I get into work pretty early. Um, 
somewhere between 7 and 8 a.m., depending on on the day. Um, But I always wake up and try to give myself at least like an hour to read prior to, you know, taking a shower, getting dressed, go to work, Um, which I like. It provides routine for me. I like routine. I don't like when my routine gets messed up. But yeah. Today was an example of literally I, I woke up and um, just felt my body like, dude, just go back to sleep. Like you were saying, your books will be there tomorrow. But yeah, you, what you need right now is rest. And basically, I was like, fuck you. What do you know? And I got up anyway and read. Mm. Um, and then it's so noticeable when I when I actively make that choice to ignore yeah. my body. Um, yeah, because then the rest of the day. uh like the the beginning of my day today at work was a struggle. My mind was mm. just not firing basic tasks that I know how to do. I do them every day at work. Basic tasks I was screwing up and I couldn't function. Um, mm. And I think that was my body, you know, playfully getting back at me like, try yeah. to tell you, <laughs> try yeah. to tell you. Yeah. So I think yeah, that's that's interesting. And then also I think the um, this idea of practicing presence. Um, has been something that I've really been trying to uh, embody on this podcast. Um, mm. I had this kind of in, in an interaction with um, a guest a while ago. And when I told them I attempted to outline their book so I could ask them intelligent questions, they laughed at me and, and uh, mm. you know, told me to throw my notes onto the floor. Um, and so I've, I've really been trying to embody presence in the podcast so that it's not just um oh well dr roberto is here uh they have a lot of really smart things to say let me just snag Mm -hmm. all that information from them but rather Mm -hmm. how can i be present in this in this moment and um really hear what is being shared and said and and maybe hopefully um be vulnerable vulnerable myself and that kind of like mm-hmm. opens other people to that as well and then there's more of a relational aspect happening um, mm-hmm. that's less transactional if that makes sense right. in the interviews yeah. so so it can create yeah, I, like yeah i i just want to say that while you were telling that story outside my window in my office was a entire flock of birds and and i i've my my partner does a lot of this, um, the flocking score and helping people practice presence and shared leadership. And when I think about, you know, how do we how do we practice presence? How do we practice relationship? It's really wrapped up in the logic of flocking, and it's sharing our energy with one another so that we could be in the flow of things there we go i think it might have my zoom might have stopped for a second ah cool Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I took a note of that. So Marty is aware, but, um, yeah, the, I, uh, the flocking, I, I like that flocking, um, imagery. And also I, 
uh, it, it reminds me of an Instagram reel that I saw uh, earlier today where I guess the the um, person speaking was uh, talking about how a lot of times in uh, marriage or relationships, people say like, oh, well, it's 50 50. And uh, mm. she was like, it's that's bullshit. <laughs> Uh, and she was like, you know, myself and my husband have this, uh, understanding that when we come home from work, sometimes we're deeply honest with each other and say, you know what, all I got right now is I'm at about 20%. Yeah. And so when, you know, one person is at 20, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the other person then has to be at 80. Um, but it does mean that, okay, now I've been honest about it. The other person can then say, okay, well, I'm, I only got 40 right now to be honest with you. So then they can talk together. Um, and share in that and then figure out, okay, so what, how do we have a plan going forward where we're going to be kind to one another and not want to kill each other? Because right now, neither one of us are in a place where we can just give a whole bunch. Um, but then also there are times when, you know, I'm at 20 and, you know, my partner's at 80 and that's really like helpful. And so I I kind of thought of that when you were speaking about the the flocking bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we need. We need to we need to learn how to relearn how to depend on one another. Yeah. And as I think best as we can. Yeah. And that, <laughs> I guess <laughs> back to your point that depending on, on one another really can't happen until we are honest with ourselves um, right. about what like we're currently like feeling or experiencing. Um Right to then yeah so that because that's that's interesting i like how body becoming your your title is kind of it it, it ties in here because it's um almost like a play on words because it's not just about the individual body becoming but you also um broaden it right. um out to like right. the larger body not just like you know our neighborhood our community etc but um even to the point where you <laughs> i loved when you're talking about the this idea of like movement and like movement as resistance yeah. and, and recognizing that like borders are arbitrary we're all on this one uh body right. together uh the earth um yeah and so i don't know i i just love how the the metaphor just continues to um to expand and 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 grow um and it's helpful in such a way as to recognize that um uh the the whole and the individual are are not separate um but we mm-hmm. we can't really understand uh the individual without recognizing their relationship to the whole in the same way that we couldn't understand the whole if we were to pluck out uh right. yourself or myself <laughs> so right right yeah. you're on to something hmm maybe we'll see (laughs) (laughs) all right well i so another um thing or or word um that you've used a couple times in our conversation um that i like that you use a lot even like on on social media platforms and stuff is this idea of um imagination Mm -hmm. and you always share these beautiful stories about um Oh, today I went out, you know, to dinner with my partner and we imagined a better world together. Um, mm-hmm. So what when you talk about imagination all the time, what what role uh, do you see imagination playing um, within this larger body becoming? 
I mean, I think imagination is vital and it's something that's been policed out of us um, from early age. And I'm just trying to restore the play of imagination. Imagination is is what will give us legs to deterritorialize our current terrain, to to really destabilize things and to create and reconstitute another possible world. Um and that and that's gonna require imagination with heart, mind, and soul. And not just not just thinking, right? If we if we put a whole bunch of architects in a room and have them imagine or reimagine a city, it it will it won't be complete. But if we were to bring in artists and biologists and other people who are investigating imagination and evolution, what could we restore? Could we actually restore our society? Might we create another possible world? So um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm about. I'm about imagining another possible world I, that's not my idea i get that from the zapatistas in mexico who imagine another possible world by opting out of the neoliberal capitalism of the global north and they work on a barter system and i am trying to help people not live idolatrous lives and what I mean by that is when we pay attention to imagination and play, we become less concerned with worshiping, I think, the all-American dollar and production and capitalism and become more concerned with people and relationships. Because at the end of the day, it's relationships all the way down for me. And... If we don't know how to engage relationally, I mean, I tell the story all the time. When I go to the grocery store, I don't go to the self-checkout because going to the grocery store is a relational event for me. And I go see Miss Pam and I go I go through Miss Pam's line and we have a conversation and I ask her how she's doing. Even though the self-checkout is a shorter line, but it's pure transaction. And what I'm interested in, in the spirit of Thomas Aquinas, is pure act. Aquinas said God is pure act. That's what I'm interested in. What is the pure act of our divine beings? And how do we participate in that divinity with one another? Yeah, I love that. The... <laughs> pure act and how do we participate within uh the divinity and it um it reminds me too of like a, a conversation i was having um with my wife noelle uh about my my so i started a new job recently because my previous employer as you know as i was telling him we were texting um went out of business suddenly and right. i noticed that even though i'm doing so i'm doing the same thing i'm brewing 
I'm, I mean, I'm brewing on a much larger scale now. I went from like brewing 15 barrels at a time to 60 (laughs) and from having like the biggest tank I used to work with was 30 barrels. And now the biggest one I have is 180. So there are differences. um, But the thing that has stood out to me the most is that my job at my current employer feels like a transaction. I show Mm. up, I play my role, I go home. Mm -hmm. We're at full tilt. It felt as if I was participating in a community and Mm -hmm. offering a certain gift to that community and then also receiving the gifts of the community that would come and hang out. If that like right. kind of makes sense. And so the the relational aspect feels missing to me. And I get I do get it some um with my coworkers, you know, the the few people that I work with, there is still relationship and I'm, you know, intentional about that. But the overall uh culture feels different. Like full tilt mm-hmm. felt like a family. <laughs> now I feel like I'm just a number in a in a corporate game. And that's mm-hmm. been um it's been interesting to think about it that way and try to put words to my experience because there's my job on paper is good. Like I'm for a, a, a good brewery. They are um, one of the more popular ones in Baltimore. Some people refer to them as Baltimore's brewery. They've been around for yeah. a long time. There's job security. I have benefits, etc. But experientially it's just like uh there's something missing yeah. here <laughs> yeah so that that kind of relational aspect um came to mind for me uh as as you were just speaking um and even in, included in that was was the idea of play and i love how you uh mm-hmm. bring up play and also talk about playing the book um cuz i do like i Play is was one of the easier ways or things for me to recognize as an act of resistance, um, because I know the 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 pressure to produce and to make results right. and etc. And that's one another thing I really loved about Full Tilt was um, we got our job done, but we had a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> we, yeah, we yeah. we goofed off and and we played and uh, you know we're ridiculous and you know would sing and dance and. My my parents, you know, when they would see uh, my social media feed, would be like, "Do you actually ever do any work?" <laughs> right, right. And so it kind of it was kind of cool for people to see that and see kind of the play that was present, and then also be able to be like, "Oh, but also somehow you found a way to make this beer that I really enjoy." So like that yeah. aspect of play was was meaningful. So I don't know. These are just kind of all ideas that are you know um, well, experiences I mean, coming I, forth. I, I, I mean, I think that you raise something really important that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are experiencing that they fit they they may feel like just a number um at their job or you know just that it is just a transaction. And so how do you how do you not sell out to that, but how do you actually build community? within the constraints of being a number and if if you're at the brewery where the people say that's baltimore's brewery 
how do you spin that in a way to create community? And, you know, I know that you brewed at full tilt for um, beer camp, you know, but I'm, I'm thinking, well, how can my next book have a special brew by Josh Patterson, you know, and, and how do we, how do we actually, how do we actually build community when in the face of people saying that's not an option? How do we make little moves against destructiveness at the end of empire? Yeah, I, that, uh, uh, name, uh, propaganda. Um, if you, if you're familiar with, with prop he he put out a book called terraform and I think he, he's kind of making this point because he's like, look, you know, there's the culture or whatever, and we can uh, be sad about it and talk about like, oh, the culture sucks, you know, X, Y, and Z. But also we need to recognize like we are the culture. We have the ability to your point to imagine a better world. And then when we do, um, we can change the culture because we are the culture. <laughs> Um, and it's so his, and he goes like terraforming, um, which is a word he didn't, uh, make up. I think it is tied and connected with like space exploration or something, <laughs> but he yeah. kind of, he kind of plays with that idea and kind of points out the silliness of like, oh, well, like we're going to go build a society on Mars. And it's like, well, really right. have you noticed how fucked up the one is that we already have? <laughs> and you're talking about right. Right. that. So like, why don't we terraform the community that we already have? Um, so yeah, I, I love that. I think that's, um, that's interesting. And I think it presents a, an interesting challenge for myself. Uh, Justin, how can I uh, try to cultivate community within my workplace? Um mm-hmm in such a way that it doesn't just bow down to the way that things are that I, I haven't thought about it that way. So I, I appreciate yeah. that, uh, that insight yeah. and you know, yeah. challenge. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> well, I guess, um, hmm. I mean, this feels like a logical That's... ending. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, uh, ending on a good note. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I was, I was going to say is, um, I don't, I don't have much else to, to kind of offer and kind of see if like you wanted to to offer the last word and, um, or any closing thoughts you might, might want to offer for the the listeners. Well, I just appreciate the invitation. Um, you've got good energy, good spirit, and I like hanging out. (laughs) So I'm just grateful for, for the chance to share about body becoming and, share about the sort of larger vision of getting into our bodies and being thinking people but also being acting people and being political people and mm. um i write on substack uh every week and that's at our collective com. so i'd love to have folks stop by there and you know we're trying to build out an app to cultivate a dispersed community and that's at um, ourcollectivebecoming.us. Um, so feel free to stop by there. Um, and, you know, I think my next book is on belonging and freedom. And I'm working on a few other things right now. Um, so to be continued. That seems like uh, you're in a journey of becoming. 
Roberto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much <laughs> and, so. Very much and, so. And that's awesome. And thank you so much for uh, for hanging out today and and making space and uh, having a siesta earlier yeah. so that we could hang yeah. out together today. I've, I've really exactly. appreciated. Exactly. Uh, appreciated our time, and I, I appreciate the way that um, you continuously sh- share your journey and are, are open and yeah. um, invite other people into it. I think uh, if we're going inv- to, when I envision a more beautiful world, it's one where where people are connected by by being honest mm-hmm. and sharing their stories, uh, yeah. in the hope that other people too uh, find themselves there. So, thank you for that and, and for your work yeah. and. Uh, Hopefully our paths cross again in the near future. Yes, I hope so too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Dr. Roberto.